Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of our Better Together series at Church Unlimited. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. So grateful for you. I just got word that we are totally packed out at the West Side campus. They're giving away 400 turkeys right now. Let's give it a hand to the West Side. Love you guys. Wait, let me see if I get it. Here we go. West Side. Got to have my West Side. That's how they do it. That's how they throw it down around there. So you got the West Side. So anyways, they're amazing. We love those guys. So grateful for them. And so I know everyone like, Bill, you really looked white. I know I'm trying. I'm just like, West Side. I'm so, I have no street credibility at all. Not even on my own street do I have credibility. It's bad. It's pretty bad. I don't even have suburban credibility. Anyways, it's okay. Glad you guys are here. Let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're going to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. God is doing something special right now. Thank you again, man. We are just about packed here as well. And I just want to thank you guys in the middle of November to have great turnouts. Thank you guys for being a part of this entire series. So today I'm talking about how do you overcome a difficult season, overcome a rough patch in your relationship. But I want to start off, I feel like this is only fair to say, if you're dating someone, I'm going to dive right into content because I've got a lot to cover today. If you're dating someone, you guys are having problems and you've kind of tried to work it out, but you're just not feeling it, that is not a sign to work it out. That is a sign to break up and to move on and realize that is not God's will for your life. I don't know what it is about this. For some reason, singles that are dating are like trying to force it to work when they're dating. And then when people that get married are ready to get out of it, it just, it's like, no, do the exact opposite of that. And so if it's not working out while you're dating, that means it's not who God has for you. It means God has someone else for you. Be encouraged. That means it's going to be better than what you're experiencing now. But if you are married, if it's a covenant relationship, which means God has put this stamp on that, you've, you've married this person, then that's when you hang in there and make it work. And so today I'm really talking to those who are already married, who are having a rough season, having a difficulty. That's really what I want to unpack today. That's what this is all about. And so I want to dive right in if I can, because I got a lot of content to cover. So if you have your notes, you can pull those out. If you have your Church Unlimited app, all the notes, the notes that I'm actually preaching from are on the app. You can pull it up right now and follow along and fill in the blanks if you'd like to do that. And so one of the things I want to mention is that marriage does not create problems. Um, Actually, it reveals them. So whatever problem you, that you had coming in, whatever problems you had coming into marriage, they're still there when you get married. Only now there's someone who can recognize them. And so there's only now there's someone who can, so when I was single, I could get away with stuff, right? Because there was no one really there to call me on my, on my crap, right? And all of a sudden you get married and there is, right? I know you're like, can you say crap in church? Sorry, I know I just did. I hope I didn't offend your religious sensibilities there. But seriously, it's true. There's someone there that sees how you act and the things you do. And so, you know, but, but marriage doesn't change you. It just doesn't. So if you were irresponsible before you got married, you're probably irresponsible in marriage. If you were bad with money before you got married, you're probably bad with money while you're married. If you are, are late all the time, perpetually late, you, even before you get married, you're, you're probably perpetually late now. And so this is one of the things about marriage is if you're better together because it makes you better because it makes you realize the things you need to work on. So that's a good thing. And so let's say you're going through a rough patch though. I want to mention something right off the bat though, that all problems in marriage don't necessarily happen in your marriage. It may be a problem that was brought to your marriage, not even from your own fault, but sometimes there's outside forces that can create problems in your marriage. In fact, my wife and I, our greatest battles have not really been about our marriage. It's really been about our, our teenagers, right? I mean, having to raise kids can bring some battles. And we haven't had that many, but when we have, it's almost always not really us. It's more like our kids affect us. And so if you have teenagers, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about right now? If you have teenagers in the house? Yeah. And so, cause you probably parent differently than your spouse. 
So you got to work that out, right? Or maybe there's an outside force of, of uh, difficulty in your marriage. Could, it may be because, I don't know, maybe financial problems. You know, maybe it's stress. I don't know what it could be, but oftentimes it's not even about the marriage. It's something that's brought to the marriage. And so I love this verse in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy that was rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, around J-Town, because it was broken down. So they were not safe as a, as a nation and as a city. And so they were rebuilding the wall and all the families got together and they were re- rebuilding different parts of the wall. As they were doing that, they got attacked. And so anytime you're trying to build something great, like a marriage, you're going to get attacked. And so I love what he says about family. Look at the scripture. Nehemiah chapter four, he says this, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let me ask you a question. Are you fighting with your spouse or for your spouse? Are you fighting with your husband or for your husband? Are you fighting with your wife or for your wife? Are you fighting with your kids or for your kids? may seem like a subtle difference, but that difference makes all all the difference. So I want to challenge you to make sure that you are fighting for your family, fighting for your marriage. So if you're in a a fight, if you're in a difficulty, you know, maybe you don't get things resolved today. But at the end of that discussion, you should say, you know what? I know we don't have this resolved yet, but I want you to know I'm committed to you. I'm with you. This is going to, we're going to get through this. This problem will expire and our marriage will still be there. And so I'm with you. And so the first thing I want you to write down, number one, is when life deals you a blow, turn to each other, not on each other. Turn to each other and not on each other. I want to encourage you to do that. And so I want to keep moving, though, because maybe you say, well, Pastor, you know, our problem really is our marriage. We're having some problems. We're having some difficulties. We keep offending each other, hurting each other's feelings. Things just aren't really clicking right now. If that's the case, there's a simple way to fix that. And it's found in Matthew chapter 18. It says this, if another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If, you have, if the person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, go to Twitter and rip them apart. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. But if you are unsuccessful, call your mother. No, it doesn't say that either. If you're unsuccessful, go out with your boys. No, it doesn't say that. It says if you're unsuccessful, take two, one or two witnesses with you and go back again so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses, listen, take it to, your, to the case to your church. That just means go to someone with, with, some, with some authority to help you. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Well, before you go, oh, see, my husband won't get with the program. We've gone to counseling. We talked to our pastor. He's still not interested in getting, getting serious about God and turning our relationship around. So forget him. I'm going to treat him like a pagan. I'm going to treat him like a non-Christian. Well, how do you treat non-Christians according to Jesus? Oh, yeah, you love them. You encourage him. You're there for him. How did Jesus treat a tax collector? Well, let's think about Zacchaeus. He went to his home and encouraged him and loved him and prayed for him and was there for him. So at no point is there any justification in us blowing off the one that we say we love. At no point is it okay to be rude, uh, to be short-tempered, to be difficult with someone who's being difficult to you. So the first thing I want to challenge you to do here is when life deals you a blow, turn to each other, not on each other. Number two, set a date to discuss your issues and offenses, and then don't stop till they're fixed. Now, it may take more than one day, but set a date. Here's what I mean by that. If you can work it out between the two of you, just set a time to meet and work it out. If you can't, then go see a counselor. There's nothing wrong with going to see a counselor. I don't know why we are so averse to Christian marriage counselors. I think that's a wonderful thing. I would encourage you to find a marriage counselor that's a Christian. And because, and when I say that, if you're like, how do you vet that person and really know if they really are a person of faith? A lot of people say they're Christians, but then they don't follow the Bible. So I would ask them some pretty pointed questions. But really, if you want to play it safe, go ask your pastor or your campus pastor who they would recommend. We have already vetted some counselors for you. 
And so we can help you get to a counselor that we know is going to give you the right advice based upon the Bible that's really going to help your marriage. But I encourage you, don't be afraid to go talk to a counselor. And for those of you who say, oh, man, I'm in a small town or, you know, it's kind of a small area. And if I go, everyone's going to know my business. First of all, I don't believe that's true. But if you're really worried about that, there's this wonderful thing called technology. So just Google counselors in Dallas, counselors in Seattle, counselors in, you know, wherever, counselors in London, if you want, just somewhere far away from where you are, and you can FaceTime them. Technology is amazing. You don't even have to leave your home to get counseling anymore. And so I encourage you to do that. Just get the help that you need. Also, I put here, set a date. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if you say, well, the Bible says to go directly to him, so I'm going to go talk to my husband or my wife today and get this dealt with. Okay, that's great. But here's what that normally looks like. So you've had all day to prepare your arguments about how you're so mad at your husband or your wife, right? Then they come home from the gym or from work, right? And you've been preparing for hours, thinking about all, mulling over, ruminating in your mind what I'm going to say and, and this and that and how I need to confront them and really you know, let them know how I feel about this and how I feel about that. They had no idea this is even going on. They walk in the door and what do you do? You've been loading your gun with all kinds of ammunition all day. And you're like, hey, babe, we need to talk. There's like, oh, oh. They have no idea this is coming, right? And then here's the best part. After you unload on them and they have no idea, They've, you've been preparing emotionally for this whole time. They haven't. You unload on them and then you get upset and you say, all you ever do is get mad. You would get mad too if you were ambushed. <laughs> so instead, go to them and say something like this. Hey, babe, there's some issues we really need to talk about. It may be a tough conversation. And would you just please circle back to me when you're in a good spot emotionally and you've had time to kind of prepare for this because we need to talk about some things. I promise you they won't take long. They'll be like, okay. And they're going to circle back because no one wants to go sleep with that on your mind, right? They're going to be like, okay, we need to talk. So they'll circle back probably within 20 minutes or an hour or two, and they'll be like, okay, I'm ready. Let's talk, okay? And so then they're prepared emotionally, and you're prepared emotionally for this conversation. And so now in this conversation, when you, when you begin to talk about this, this is important, it says in Proverbs 13, reliable communication permits progress. This is why if you're not getting anywhere when you're talking with them, it's important to invite a third party and maybe there's an, another Christian couple that you look up to, that you both look up to and agree upon to invite in to have a conversation with you. Maybe you go to the pastor or maybe you just call a Christian counselor and go see them or, or you know, via Skype or, or, or however you want to do it or go in their office, but, but have that conversation and talk things through with him. That's important. Now, here's the thing. If you go to the counselor, you got to give it your best though. That's a big deal. Don't just, don't just kind of go half-heartedly and then they tell you to do things and you don't do them. What's the point of even being there? Okay. That's, that's not the answer. The answer is to actually give it your best. Please don't do, be the person who knows in your mind, you just want a divorce. You go to the Christian counselors, you can check the box that says, I tried, but you really didn't. You just showed up and acted like you tried, but you didn't. So in other words, we need to give our best to really work things out. Hey, before I go any further, next week, I know it's Thanksgiving week. It's going to be a big week. A lot of you guys are going to have your in-laws and outlaws in town. I understand that. <laughs> we are having church this weekend. You may need it to get through all that family crap that's going to happen on Thursday. So, you know, we're here for you. We want to help. So, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but if you have family coming to town, we'd love to have them join you as well for church. It's going to be a great time. Next week, I'm talking about how to, how to uh, have a maximum impact, how to leave a legacy. We're talking about that this next week. Be sure to be here for that. I want to mention to all the, those of you who consider this your church family, in three weeks, we've been praying about it. I've been mentioning it for several months now. We have our annual offering coming up. It's December 7th. Please be praying about what God would have you do above and beyond your tithe.
tithe. And so my wife and I have been preparing for this as well. We're believing God for a great offering so we can do what with it? Well, number one, we're gonna, re, we're gonna build a brand new Padre Island building. We're so excited for them. They need a building out there. They're totally out of space. Their building is behind another building of the same size. You can't even see them from the road. Very limited parking. And they're still reaching three to 400 people. So can you imagine what they're going to do if we give them a building right on the highway there with plenty of parking and space? We're excited about that. Guys, we're not building buildings. We're filling heaven. So I just want to ask you to pray about what God would have you do. So just want to mention that to you. The offering is called the 2020 Vision Offering. So we'd love to have you join us in that again, December 7th. That's, that's coming up. So when you have this confrontation, when you talk with your spouse about this issue you're having, you need to work out. Let me just highly recommend, number three, that you soften your words, that you soften your words, that you speak truth in love and at the right time. We already talked about the right time, right, is to give them some time, let them know it's coming, right? But then when you do get together, this should not be a battle. This should not be to where you're arguing over one another or while one person's talking, the other person's just loading their gun with new ammo, they're gonna just shoot at them, right? You're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, just take a breath, just take a breath, ah that's not... You know, and then while they're firing off of you, you're like, uh-huh, you're loading your rocket launcher. You're like, yeah, go ahead, I'm ready. <laughs> That's not the answer. Neither of you are listening to one another. And so you need to have softer words, but we also need to listen. So look what Scripture says on this. Proverbs 20, foolish people are always fighting, but avoiding quarrels is bringing, will bring you honor. Avoiding quarrels does not mean avoiding a subject. It means let's do this in a way that we avoid fighting. You know what we typically do? We start running a script to where you bring up the issue that you're upset about, then they throw out an issue that they know offends you, right? And then now you're going back and forth. Oh yeah, well you did this. Oh yeah, well what about that time? And remember when you did this and your mother and you're cooking and you're parenting and you're just going, you're just lobbing at each other and you're not really getting where what you're doing. Psychologists say you're just running a script. This is just the same old argument. When people say, we just can't get along, we're always going through difficulty. I bet the whole we can't get along is probably one or two issues that you just keep refighting about again and again and again. So it's not you can't get along, you just you've hyper-focused on one issue, and maybe a big issue. I'm not saying to say it's small, but it's not that you can't get along, you just haven't figured this one issue out. You know, if the dashboard of my car was just going off with lights everywhere, I'd pull over and I'd call a mechanic. So why is it that when the dashboard of our marriage is going off, we just keep on driving? Oh, it'll be fine. I can tell you how it's gonna work out. You're gonna end up on the side of the road with a dead car. In the same way, if you don't pay attention to those dashboard signals going off, that's how marriages die. You gotta pay attention to stuff like that. It's time to, to face it. It's time to do something about it. It says in Scripture in James 1.19, Dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. You know, being just yelling at each other, it's not gonna get you where you want. It knows it says here, be quick to listen, slow to speak. You know, guys, you have one mouth and two ears. Use them proportionately. If you will listen twice as much as you're talking, you may actually get somewhere. Honestly, if you're always arguing over the same issue, that means neither of you are listening. You're just arguing, you're just making your points again and again, and you're not getting anywhere. So let me just help you with this a little bit. Here's what a counselor would tell you. They would say, when, when, when your spouse is giving you their points, their, their argument, their, their position, their opinion, right? At that point, instead of then loading, unloading all your thoughts right back on them in defense, don't, don't get defensive. Instead, use language like this, like, so what I hear you saying is this. Is this what you mean? 
the other day, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was talking to my wife, and we were having a bit of a, a bit of an argument, a bit of, a bit of a debate. And I thought I was going to be Mr. Counsel over here, so I was like, "Oh yeah, so is this what you mean?" And it was hilarious. She looked at me. She's like, "No, that's not even close to what I mean." I thought I had this, like, "Oh, I got this, babe. I got. Is this what you mean?" And she literally looked at me. She's like, "Bill, you're, it's like you're not even hearing me." And by the end of the conversation, I realized, I, wow, I really wasn't. I thought I really had this down, and I didn't. So I don't care how much of an expert you think you are, this is important. You are not them, and they are not you. So oftentimes you think you get it, but you may not. And so this is why it's great to say things like, now, tell me that again. Explain. This is what I think you mean. Is this what you mean? No, this is what I mean. And don't start to bring your stuff up until you get clarification and they feel like they've been heard. And then, and only then, is it time to say, okay, well, here's the way I see it. And then hopefully they will say, well, this, is this what you mean? And you get to clarify. Now you actually may get somewhere instead of just arguing all day. So I just want to encourage you. Also, avoid accusatory language like, you always do this. And you never avoid you always and you never. They're almost always never right. <laughs> so avoid always and never. Another thing is say, you did this and you did that. Or you, I can't believe you're this way or you're that way. Instead of say, this is what I think you did and this is how it made me feel. Like, like I noticed you did this or you said this and here's how that made me feel. So in other words, like, it's not a right or wrong thing at this point. This is, I, I, maybe you didn't mean it, but this is how it came across to me. This is how it f- felt. When, when people feel accused, they tend to go in the corner and come out boxing. Like, oh, yeah, well, no, this is what. And so you, w- when you use accusatory language, it's just going to ramp up the emotions, and then you're not going to get anywhere. So you have to learn to really talk this through. In fact, speaking of that, Ephesians 4 says this, make a clean break with all cutting backbiting and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Guys, there's just no place for you to be cussing and yelling and screaming and cutting each other down. Yelling, shut up, and if you do this, and I can't believe you're this and that, and it's just not going to get you where you want to go. I mean, frankly, I'm not even attacking the moral side. Obviously, the Bible's against it, but it just won't get you the results you want. It just doesn't work. And so just from a practical standpoint, it's much more effective to actually listen and hear someone out than it is just to unload on them. And so I just want to encourage you, you can actually win the argument and lose the relationship. It's not worth that. I'd rather win the relationship and lose the argument, frankly. And so I just want to encourage you to soften your words. It's a big deal. And so, oh, um, speaking of soft words, let me just mention one thing real quick. Uh, Are there any fixers in the room today? Let me tell you what the fixer is. A fixer is someone that with their words, they mean well, but they're always fixing you. Maybe you have a spouse or maybe you're a mom or dad that does this with your kids. And you're always like, well, if you would just do this, if you would just do that. And you say, well, I'm only saying this because I love you. And so you're always fixing them, this and that. And you need to do this and you need to do that better, right? And so you finally, you're like, okay, I can't take it, right? And this is where you say to someone like, could you love me a little less, right? Because you're, like, you're always coming at me, well, I need to change, right? And so I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible has a word for that. The, the word is nag. like a dripping faucet. You ever had a dripping faucet? Some of you are like, I don't know if I do or not. You know why? It dripped long enough, you don't notice it anymore. <laughs> so if you're just fixing someone and constantly saying what they need to do better, 
They're actually no longer hearing you. Here's what they're hearing. If someone, if you're a fixer, I want you to hear, this is how you're coming across to someone, okay? If you're always trying to fix your kids, if you would just, honey, if you would just study more, if you just, or, or, or your husband or your wife, if you would just do this, I'm telling you, if, you would just, if you're always trying to fix them, here's what they hear. This is what they're hearing. They're hearing, blah, 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 you're not good enough. Blah, 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 you're not good enough. Blah, 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 you're not good enough. Now, who wants to listen to someone tell them they're not good enough? Nobody. So this may surprise you, but the most effective way to get your nag across is to not, is to actually wait and do it very differently. So here's what I want to challenge you to do, and this is a challenge for all of us. Think about someone in your life right now who you just adore. You just love them. Now I'm, ta- now I'm talking about your kids. Set that aside for a second. I know you love your kids because you, know, you gave birth to them and all that, but let's set that aside. <laughs> Think about a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, maybe a coach, maybe a teacher from back in high school that you just thought, oh, Mrs. Jones was the best. Oh, Coach Smith, he was so awesome. I just loved him, right? Just think about that person just like, oh, man, I just, man, Sarah, Juan, John, whoever it is, name someone in your mind that you know, like they are such an encourager. Like they just, they just make me feel like I can do anything. Anybody have one? You have someone in mind right now? that just has always been such an encourager. Now, if that person who has been such an encouragement to you came to you with correction, even harsh correction, I bet you'd listen to it, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh man, for, 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 for Coach Guerrero to get on me? I know he loves me. So if he said it, I better listen, right? The person that you know is in your corner and you know they love you, and they've said that over and over again. They've proven that over and over again. Man, if they have something to say to me, I, I better listen to that. Why are we so open to feedback from people who never give it? And we're so close to people who give it all the time. Here's why. I want to challenge you to do this. Number four, create a backdrop of constant and consistent encouragement. Encouragement is a fuel that we all run on, all of us. I don't care who you are, we all just need to know occasionally that someone cares, that someone sees all that we're doing and is thankful, that someone believes in us, that someone's there for us, that someone loves us. We all need this. I don't care who you are, there are no exceptions to this rule. So I just want to encourage you to be an encourager. Hebrews 3 says this, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how does this have to do with deceitfulness of sin? Let me explain that. If you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, here's what that means. You know something's wrong. You're clearly aware something's wrong. But the person who's constantly telling you what you're doing is wrong, it's so frustrating, you get so defensive against it, you no longer even notice the sin you're doing. Now you're just mad and you're obstinate and I'm gonna keep doing this because you will not shut up about it. So now it's no longer even about what you're doing. So instead, we can encourage them, love them, and through that constant feedback loop of, I just think you're doing so great. See, right now, some of you are like, I can't find anything my spouse does that's good. How can I encourage him? I can't find one thing someone's doing right. Come on, ladies, you can do it. Find one thing. No, baby, I want to tell you, thank you for showering today. You have no idea the difference that makes. <laughs> find something they do that's encouraging, right? Just anything, right? And then build on that, right? Now, let me just say this about encouragement. This is not, we're not saying ignore issues. We're not saying that at all. Clearly, we talked about confronting, and we talked about using softer words when you confront, but we're not saying that you don't confront. But it may be a long-term issue. You may say, well, maybe this isn't going to resolve real fast. Maybe if you began to encourage them on a regular basis, even while the issue still persists, 
that over time that when you do confront them, they'll see you differently. They'll think this person's in my corner. And so it'll begin to change them over time. And so as long as it's called today. Now, what day is called today? Every day you wake up, is, is it today? Yeah. So what day is it okay not to be encouraging them? On any day that's not called today. <laughs> Other than that, we should always be encouraging one another because we all need it. Every one of us. Now, in case you don't know this, men and women are radically different people. Now, I think it's kind of funny that that's a shocking thing today, but for some reason, people are trying to make it to where all the sexes are blended together, and they're just not. We're very different. I love when I meet a young couple that are just dating, and they're like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common. I'm like, I've been married 26 years. You have nothing in common. <laughs> okay, let me just tell you right now, here's what I mean by that. It doesn't mean you don't have a few choices you can make to, to have things in common, but you're just different people. I mean, my wife and I, we got Jesus in common. Right? We have kids together. We have that in common. We have a family that's in common. We have a ministry in common. But the truth is we're very different people. If you made a top 10 list of things I like to do and she made a top 10 list, only a few of those things would, would be cross-referenced. Most of it would be totally different. Why? We're different people. Men and women are different. Now, this may be a little stereotypical, but typically this is what we see. The Bible actually says, husbands, love your wives. But then it says, wives, respect your husbands. Isn't that interesting? Why, why would there be a, a, different, a different word there? You said, well, does that mean men don't need to be loved? Kind of. This may shock you, but it's not that men don't want to be loved. They do. But you know how a man likes to see love, love how, how they like to receive love? By being respected. So it's just a subtle difference, but it's a game changer. So let me, let me try, try to help you with this a little bit. So let me give you something practical. So men, write this down, please. Men, pursue her with words of affection. In other words, she wants to know, do you love me today? I know you told me you loved me years ago, but do you still love me today? Now, the word love kind of loses its power if it's used too often. Love you, love you, love you, love you, right? It's just kind of a quick thing you just say. I'm still glad we do it, right? But you want to give it a little power again? Instead of just saying love you, because, you know, I can also say I love a Snickers. I love Mexican food. I, love, I do love those things. <laughs> but it's not the same as my love for my wife, right? So here's a little word you can add. Say, I love you because... Then add something. And men, let me help you out. Make it a non-physical attribute. I love you because of that, but. No, that's, that's not, no. That may be true, but there's other things you love about her too, okay? And so we got to learn to have also physical touch. It doesn't always need to be, we need to have what's called non-sexual physical affection. Now, I know a lot of guys were went like, what? I, you just threw me. I'd never heard of such a thing. What is This is where you touch your wife without touching her goodies. You got it? So what this means is you got to be able to show affection, right? Share affection, show affection. So I love you because. So I would say to my wife, I love you because you really are an amazing mom. I love you because you're such an includer. You always want to make sure no one's left out. That's such a, it's such a, a heart for people. I love you because you're full of wisdom. I love you because the way you see situations and you help me see things that I don't see. I love you because of your incredible intuition. I love you because, fill in the blank, what is it that you love about your spouse? So I love you because. If you can begin to do that, man, it'll change your relationship. Let me tell you something else, guys. If you'll begin to focus on all those characters that have nothing to do with her goodies, she'll give you more of her goodies. <laughs> Where are my ladies at? Is this true? It's just one of those deals. I don't, I don't understand it, but it's really true. Now, if it feels manipulative, no. I mean, it needs to be sincere, 
but she wants to know that you love her, not just for what she can do for or to you, but she wants, you, she wants to know, I love you because of who you are. And it's out of that that she wants to give herself to you. So if you begin to change your language and change your approach, it really is a game changer. With sincerity, I mean that. Now, women, pursue him with words of affirmation. With words of affirmation. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear I love you too, but, but he really wants to be respected. This is a big thing to a guy. Now, I know you think like, oh, what is the deal with respect? And men is just like, oh, they just have huge egos. We do. But remember this, God made us. I know it sounds cheesy, but we all think we're football players and we just want a cheerleader in the corner. It's really true. We just want someone to cheer us on. I want to wake up in the morning. My wife is standing there. She's like, you can get out of bed. You can be like, yes, I can do this. We just want someone cheering us on. This may sound funny, but, but I could get a hundred notes from you this week about, oh, I just love the sermon. But if one phrase in my wife's mouth says, oh, baby, I love the message. And then she tells me something specific. She'll just say, great message. And I'll say, what part? I am dying, like, please show me some respect. Like, it's such a big deal to a man. Just if you'll just feed that a little bit, oh, man, I can take on the world. Here's the great news about that, ladies. You say, my husband, he's not really much of a leader. He's not really accomplished this and that. You know what? You can make him into that. You can. Your words are that powerful. You can make him into that. So just your belief is such a game changer. One of the things I love about our church is my favorite thing about our church is the members and my favorite First member is the game changer for me. And just knowing I've got that one person in my corner helps me do so much more. We all need that. We all need to know someone is there for us. Someone believes in us. Let me give you some stats on this that are pretty eye-opening. Did you know that 77% of what you say about yourself in your own mind is negative? 77% of your self-talk is always cutting yourself down. You look yourself in the mirror, I'm fat. I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm so irrelevant, I'm bad with money, I'm just not really a good parent, I'm just, I just, we cut ourselves down all the time. 77% of the time, did you know that? It's very rare to walk by a mirror and go, man, you look great. I'm just very rare. (laughs) But we are there to rip ourselves apart, aren't we? Right? And so we, we are so good at that. And so there did, they did some studies on this. And at, there's a study at the University of Chicago that found that it takes a ratio of two to one with words to turn something around. Like if someone says a negative word to you and you don't even know them, it takes two positive words from someone to turn around one negative word from someone you don't know. If you know them and you're close to them, like a spouse, it takes five positive words to replace one negative word. That's powerful, isn't it? Now, let me give you some more shocking stats. There was a multicultural study done. That means not just America. And they did this study. They took 20-year-olds and 60-year-olds in different countries. And they said in two minutes or less, write down as many emotional, emotion words that you can think of. Any emotion, doesn't matter, good or bad, up or down, just any emotional words you can write down. And they did this, they did this long study, a lot of people from different, different cultures. Here's what they found out. They found out that 50% of all the words we use to share our emotions are negative words. are positive and 20% are neutral. That means whether you're a positive or a negative person, whether you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist, 50% of your uh, emotional words are negative. So even without trying, not even meaning to, just having regular conversations with and to your spouse, they probably just assume you're not really crazy about them. Because 50% of your words are negative. Even positive people, that's true. Think about how crazy that is. Now, can I take it one step further? There was a 37 different language study that was done. That's a a 
a lot of languages, practically most of the world. 37 languages found in all of our emotions that we share with different words in different cultures all come down to seven emotions. Like if I say, man, this is lit, this was awesome, that means what? That means good emotion, right? That means, that means positive, right? If I say, this stinks, this sucks, this is horrible, right? Sorry if that offends you. I'm just saying that's the kind of language you use in America, right? And so if you say stuff like that, that's obviously a negative emotion, right? If I say, oh, this was so bad, that means I probably have some shame or some guilt, right? It's a negative emotion. Let me give you the seven emotions. There's categories that all words fit into these seven categories of how we share our emotions. Here they are, you ready? Joy, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, and guilt. Only one of the seven categories that we share our words and emotions across all cultures is positive. Six out of seven emotionally charged words we use are negative. This is why when your spouse says one thing negative to you, 77% inside you, that critic that's always telling you how bad you are, latches onto that one thing that they said. And this is why in an argument, your wife will say, don't you remember when you said this? And you're thinking, I said that two years ago. But their inner critic remembered it. And so does yours. This is why we've got to guard our mouth, guard our tongue. God created the heavens and the earth with his mouth alone, which means you can recreate the marriage of your dreams with your words. You can turn things around in your marriage right now by changing how you talk to your spouse. Someone get excited that we can do this. We can change how we talk to each other. We really can. Last thing I want to mention on this too, young people, how you treat and the words you use with your brothers and your sisters is a good determination of how you will treat your spouse one day. That should terrify many of you, but it's really true. Surprise, surprise, all the guys I knew in high school that were super rude to one another, most of them are divorced. Or they had a real wake-up call and had to change. But that's just the truth. How you treat people comes out in your marriage. Don't think you can be rude to this person and rude to people all the time and you're not. Do you think that's not gonna one day hit the person you say you love the most? It, it will. So we have to really guard our words and we need to change those habits now because how you treat your brothers and sisters and your mom and your dad is a, is a good indication of how you will one day treat your spouse. So we want to make sure that we make some of those changes right now. So see, I'm not just raising kids. I'm raising a future, I'm raising future husbands and wives. You're doing the same thing. So we have to really think about that. So the reason why I say, no, 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 you're not going to talk to me like that. You're not going to talk to your mother like that. You're not going to talk to your brother or your sister like that is because what I'm really saying is I'm not going to let that become normal to you to where you think that's okay to talk to your spouse like that one day. It's not okay. And so don't be afraid to call them out on it. And, uh, and I would even give some punishments attached. I'm not kidding. This is not a parenting series. I don't want to go into that any further, but I'll just say, make it hurt because their words are hurting. So let's change the words, change the language. It's a big deal. Create a backdrop of constant encouragement. It really is a game changer. And the last thing I want to share with you is 1 Peter 3. It says this, finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy towards each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. And then a great verse. So number five, number five, have a sympathy for your spouse. Have sympathy for your spouse. You say, oh, I understand how they feel, what they're going through. I understand they were raised this or that way. No, you, you think you understand, but you're not them. 
You, 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 you've heard how they were raised, but you didn't go through it. You've heard what they went through in high school or college, but you weren't there. And so you're not them. You didn't walk in their shoes. So be very careful in being judgmental towards your spouse and how they respond because you didn't, you don't have their background and they don't have yours. So when you learn to be more sympathetic towards one another and how we deal with our emotions, with how we deal with problems, with how we handle family situations, everyone has a different background. And we all bring our background with us into a marriage. So let's learn to sympathize. You don't have to fully understand. You just have to know that you're not them and they're not you. So it's okay to to think differently than you because you would probably think a lot like your spouse if you would have grown up like they did too. So don't be discouraged. I'm not, I'm not trying to give everyone an excuse to just do what you want to do because you, your background. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying let's learn to sympathize with one another because we are very different people. Marriage is a commitment of two incompatible people choosing to be compatible. You can do this because if God raised Jesus from the dead, he can raise your marriage from the grave too. He really can. Let's pray. Take a moment right now at all of our campuses. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse right now. I want to encourage you just to reach over and hold their hand. Put your arm around them. Go ahead and gross your kids out a little bit right now. It's great. Always worth it. Maybe just give them a little squeeze right now and just let them know, baby, I'm in this. Just let them know. I'm with you. I want to be your biggest cheerleader. I want to be your biggest encourager. I don't want to always be fixing you. I want to build you. I want to build you up. I believe in you. I love you because. I want to encourage you to do that right now. And if you're single right now, one of our campuses right now, wherever you are, I want to encourage you today to thank God for the future spouse God's going to bring you. You know the biggest gift you can give them that you don't even know them is becoming a man or woman of God. The greatest gift you can give them is to say, Lord, I don't want to bring some of these issues I have now into my marriage, so I want to work them out now. Lord, I want to get this fixed now so I don't bring this money problem into a marriage. I don't want to bring this habit into a marriage. I don't want to bring this addiction into a marriage. I don't want to bring this struggle into a marriage. Singles, I want to encourage you to do your best to get some things worked out so that one day when God brings that person into your life, you're ready for it. Either way, married or single, I want to encourage you right now during this prayer time, have you given your life to Christ? Christ is the ultimate and unconditional love. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He made a way for us to know God and to be in heaven one day when we die because if, if you know Jesus, you get heaven. If you don't, you don't. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ right now by praying a very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can just say it out loud with us. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the grave. I ask you to come into my heart be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.